Lord instructed them to do something. He said, I want you as, you, as I dry up the Jordan River, as you go across on dry ground, I want you to take a big rock and somebody from each tribe, I want you to put it in the middle of the river because that is going to serve as a marker, as a testimony of what I did on this day. That you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the ocean. I need you now to do the same for me. celebrate uh, the Lord this morning. That was great. If you'd have been down here in front watching my face, I was grinning like a, like a little kid that whole time as I was remembering the stories and the testimonies from that night a couple weeks ago. If you joined us, you, you probably would be able to just say amen to the fact that just some incredible testimonies being told. And we've heard great testimonies over the years, but that was a night I think I told somebody, I'm not sure I've heard that many specific powerful testimonies of transformation, what God was doing, how God was taking people deeper and it was just such an incredible incredible time and so we celebrate the Lord today and uh, as we as we celebrate that we're going to move into a series for the next several weeks together that was not the series that we had written three weeks ago or that I had written three weeks ago uh, this is uh, this is uh, what do they call it when you're at the huddle and you call it an alternate or something like that I, I called one at the line a couple of weeks ago and uh, today we're going to start a new series called what's missing what's missing uh, my wife every once in a while she likes to make salsa especially. I love her salsa. It's that time of year and she will invariably have me come out and take a, a spoonful of the salsa and she'll say, okay now, what's missing, right? And for me, it's almost always salt. But anyway, but the, it's just either, well, there's always something. Something's not quite there. What seems to be missing? And over this next several weeks, this was a series that really wrote itself, or really the Lord put it on my heart. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in prayer time with uh, community leaders. And as I've often shared about that time of prayer, you don't go into it with an expectation that you need to have something specific, but it's amazing how often God, when you just simply seek his presence, he begins to speak to you about something. 
gentleman sitting right next to me brought up a prayer need. And one of the things that he had on his heart was a, was a grandchild and how he made a comment about his grandchild, how needed to see an answer to prayer and, and specifically. And the Lord just began to flood my soul with um, verses. And the verses seemed to me anyway to be a, an affirmation, but a declaration of what we in not just this generation, but all generations need to see. And that is a move of God in our midst. And why don't we see that today? Why don't we see that? And that's what was really on my heart. Why aren't we seeing that move of God that we've heard of years past? Or, or why aren't we seeing what we see in our African churches or our, our Asian churches or even our, even our churches where we're hearing these testimonies? What, what's missing? And many Christians are asking that question. Is there something missing in my walk of faith? As a believers, as a body of Christ, is something missing? And I, I, I went back to my office and, and um, I prayed what God had put on my heart. I, I shared the testimony to the, the group and I came back here and I sat there and in 50 minutes I had somewhere around 10 or 12 pages of notes, four messages that had developed as I was just literally, sometimes you're just, you're just regurgitating what, oh, what, what God puts on your heart. You can't type fast enough. I pulled Pastor Ann, Pastor Chelsea into the office because we already had the graphics ready to go a different direction. We, we had everything going a whole different uh, direction. And I, I shared what God was putting on my heart and they both said, man, we got chills. We got chills. This is where God wants us to go this fall. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to take us on a journey out of First and Second Timothy. It's not going to be an all-inclusive, but it's simply using that as a foundation as Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor, in fact, it's a Pauline epistle to, or a pastoral epistle, uh, Paul writes to these young leaders on how they are to lead the church. But Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says, now I'd like to come to you myself, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I'm delayed, you may know how you are to conduct yourself within God's household, the church. In fact, he says it this way. He says, God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. And so what Paul is saying to those who call themselves believers in Jesus Christ, Paul or John says to all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gives them the right to be called children of God. So if you have a faith relationship with, uh, through Jesus Christ, you're part of the family of God, you're part of the church, and he says the church descriptively is supposed to hold out the truth to the world. But prescriptively, there are some things that we ought to see happening for the normal church, not the, not the average church, the normal church. In other words, if I'm following Christ, if I'm holding fast to him, if God is moving in our midst, these are some things that we ought to see happening. And over these next several weeks, we're gonna talk about some things that maybe you feel are missing in your life or maybe are missing in the body of Christ or in the church universal. Please do not look at this as you're looking at others, simply allow the Spirit of God to say, what do I want to do in your life today? Go to chapter one, chapter one, sorry, chapter two, chapter two, verse one. Paul, as he has just given his greetings, he's just introduced himself, he's just declared how merciful God has been in his life to allow him to be an apostle. Paul says this, I urge you then, first of all, first priority, 
Object lesson number one, that all requests, prayers, intercession, and thanks being be made for everyone, for kings, for those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher of the true faith, it, uh, true faith to the Gentiles. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. Now, the reason that I started in this passage is that Paul says of highest priority, first of all, he's establishing right up front in this letter that the first thing he wants to talk about is this whole thing of prayer. And in fact, you might be asking yourself, well, why is prayer such a big deal? Um, I pray, you pray, everybody prays, we pray, we pray as a church, we, we pray. And, and can I just share with you that if I were to ask you if you pray, I'm going to dare say that 95% of you would raise your hand and say, yeah, I pray. Because 95% of the world prays. Everybody prays, Right? But maybe what Paul is doing is not talking so much about the aspect of, of nominal prayer, but talking about the priority of prayer in the life of the believer. I'll tell you right now that as I look at the missing ingredients in the next couple of weeks, prayer becomes the foundation to every single one of them. That's why it's message number one. Paul said it when he was talking about the, uh, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter six. He talks about the shield of faith and he talks about the breastplate of, uh, plate of righteousness and he, he talks about all these things that are necessary, but then as he kind of boils it down, he says, but I want you to pray and I want you to pray for everyone and I want you to pray for all the saints and I want you to pray so that you'll be able to stand in the day of tempting and oh by the way if I forgot to say something to you I need you to pray for me also so that I will declare what is right and that I will courageously stand for the things that God has given me to declare it's almost like he says that before we need to talk about the armor of God, we need to talk about the under armor of God. It's the very first thing that you put on and then out of an extension of that, everything else begins to happen. And so Paul says, first thing, priority, in your life, in your church, in your community, pray. It becomes the foundation. And the reason for it is threefold. I put it down in your notes. I'll just give them to you very quickly. Is that prayer aligns me with the will of God. If I ever want to understand what the heart of God is, then by seeking the Lord's presence in prayer, by coming before him in prayer, it, I, I, Henry Blackaby said it this way in, the, in a book many of you read years and years ago called Experiencing God. He says, why is it that we always pray that God will bless what we're doing? Rather, what we should be doing is asking God to help us to do what he's already blessing. God's moving. And he wants us to step into where he's moving. He wants us to step in. I, I say it this way oftentimes. God, we don't need a good idea at church. We got millions of good ideas. 
We don't have enough money or time to do all the good ideas. God, we need your ideas. We want the God idea. Where is it that you're moving that you're wanting to step into and you're wanting us to just step into what you're already doing in these days? And so what prayer does in the heart of a believer as we begin to seek him is that it aligns us with what his will is. It arms us for the battle or it underarms us for the battle. I'm a hunter. I hunt in cold weather. I like under armor. It's that first thing you put on, that base layer. Then you put all the other stuff on top and it has a way of kind of getting you ready for the cold. Same thing with prayer. It becomes the under armor of our life that as we step in, as we step out, God is already We've already been in the presence of the Lord, and so it, it, it arms us for battle. And then what it really does is it announces our faith. And it doesn't just announce our faith to other people, because many times that prayer takes place in private. It announces our faith to God and says, God, we cannot do this without you. I am recognizing my absolute dependency on you, your spirit to move in my life, because I could never do it any other way. I mentioned the testimonies that we heard a few weeks ago. And when I was listening to those testimonies, there were so many of them that I said to myself, man couldn't do that. I think if you wanna see a transformation in your marriage, I can give you some hints and a counselor can give you some direction, but counselor's not gonna rescue your marriage. If you want to see addictions in your life broken, you can practice self-discipline and wise moves, but if you really want to see life transformation, it's not going to happen just simply out of your own strength. It's going to be because of the power of God working in your life. You want to see a life change. You want to see your child, see a life transformation in your child. I think all of us know you can try to persuade your children all you want. Have Have any of you figured out yet the more you talk may not make more impact. Heart transformation takes place when the Spirit of God moves in. And, and it, it is announcing our dependency on God. And you may think that makes you feel very weak, but it actually is very freeing because when you realize that you're not the one who is responsible for a person's life to be changed, you're you're called to be faithful. You're you're called to speak into that. But I've never saved a person's life other than declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ as the Spirit leads me along, but it's the Spirit of God that changes a person's life. And when when you recognize that, that dependency, it's as if it initiates faith, which, which moves the hand of God. And we, this last year, um, uh, we were in, I call it, I hate to say this, but it was the, it was the post-COVID fall. We, last year, we were f- coming out of the, the crazy summer of COVID and all the, the stuff that we were trying to navigate as a church. And, and um, last uh, fall, we began to witness this incredible move. Many of you are new to Colonial Woods since last year. I mean, it just, we just saw this flood of individuals who began uh, to come. We've seen people giving their hearts to Christ. We've seen growth taking place. And I, I sat with, and we were, as a staff, we like to sit, sit around and talk about praises. We call them wins. Hey, what's a win? What, what's God doing in these days? And we love just hearing the stories of what God is doing. And I remember saying to them, right now we're in a season of favor. Our responsibility is to not blow it. 
Lord, we just want to, we just want to, we want to rest. We want to walk in your favor. We want to walk. We don't want to do anything to get in the way of what you're wanting to do. And it's a recognition. It's not by might, not by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So prayer does that. And so Paul, as he's setting that foundation, he's trying to get the body of God's household. He says, this has got to be first and foremost in your life and in the body, this is first priority. So he gives us some directions out of this passage on, on prayer. And the first thing he says, and I don't want to get too much into this because frankly, that, that's not, we don't want to dissect it to that degree. But he, he says, first of all, pray generously, which means what? He says, pray for everyone. You'll notice that verse one there, he says, um, I, I pray that first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for what? everyone. And it's not everyone like God bless everyone, but, he, but he, what he's saying is pray for everyone. Pray specifically. Be generous in prayer. This morning I was uh, praying for several needs I was aware of. Some of my family, I was praying for my kids. I pray for them every day and I pray specific things in the life of my kids. And then I got a, a WhatsApp message from uh, a pastor friend and we're in a group and uh, all he did all he did was put those praying hands uh, by the way do we know that if you send an emoji of praying hands that's not the same as praying you know that right But it is a reminder to pray. And so what I wrote him, his name is Christian. He does that every Sunday morning, Saturday night to this group of about 10 larger church pastors. And, and I, I said, Christian, thank you, brother, for the reminder. And I went through the WhatsApp list and just quickly prayed for each one of them. He says, I want you to be generous in prayer. And he gives us four of the seven words for prayer in the New Testament. He, he talks about requests. And, and requests are simply what? Desperate prayers prayer. Something that you have a desperate need for, bring that to the Lord. That's what that word means. And then there's prayer of worship. He uses that word prayer. It's the, it's the word that means to come to God with a heart of reverence, with a heart of worship, with a heart of um, celebration, awe as to who God is. And I find myself personally, I forget sometimes to do that. So I have to remind myself very first thing. Sometimes I'll just come to the Lord. I'll start praying and I'll say, I'm sorry, Lord, let me back up. You're awesome. Can I just say thank you for even allowing me to come before you? You're the holy God. I don't have any right other than through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for dying for my sins and loving me. And I'll just spend time loving on God. That's really what he's referring to here. It's just simply the prayer, the speaking that you do to God. You don't do to anyone else. And then, then he says, and then by the way, your intercession or your petitions. This means you have a heart of burden for a need in someone one's life. And, and it's, it's interesting because it's an intimate word. You're going confidentially and intimately to an individual to request something on behalf of another. That's what the meaning of that word is. And then he says, and oh, by the way, with thanksgiving, that Lord, if I'm going to 
love you enough and care enough to pray for something, then I'm also going to love you enough to praise you when you step into that. And by the way, the act of thanksgiving is a reminder to you of all the good things you have in Jesus Christ. Philemon chapter, uh, Philemon verse six or seven. He says, so that you'll be reminded when you celebrate and have thanksgiving, what it really is doing It's honoring God, but it's also reminding yourself of how God has answered prayer. Be generous in prayer. And something struck me this morning. It is really hard to do this quickly. I can go through a list quickly. It's hard for me to enter God's presence quickly. I, uh, I visited the, how do you say it? The Louvre, right? Paris Museum. Spelled Louvre, but the French don't know how to say words like we do. And, <laughs> and uh, my buddy was not feeling well. Uh, we, we had a two-day layover. He was staying back. I did a real quick thing where I was trying to see Paris in a day and a half. Um, went to the Cathedral of Notre Dame and we, we had, both of us went to the Eiffel Tower. Almost, we got on the Eiffel Tower, never went up the Eiffel Tower, bomb threat, we had to get off and, and um, we ate in a little cafe. I mean, we did, a, you, know, you know what I'm saying, we tried to see Paris very quickly. And so I went to the Louvre and I thought, eh, this is worth 20 minutes of my time. And, and uh, do you know what? They, they don't put the Mona Lisa at the front door. Did you know that? They do in the gift shop. You can buy one. It's about like this or so. It's like 30 bucks, but um, just kidding. The the poster is a reproduction. You're not finding me on this. But anyway, what I noticed was as you go to the Louvre, you walk in and then you enter into a smaller place and then you walk down a hallway and then you walk into a inner room and in the inner room is where the real masterpiece is and it's really hard to get there quickly. And you'll find with prayer that you can get to the outer court pretty quickly. But to go into the Holy of Holies takes time. And it isn't, um, it isn't putting a priority on the length of time in prayer, but by virtue, it takes time to get to the place of prayer. Does that make sense a little bit? So he says, I want you to pray uh, generously and then I want you to pray specifically. Notice what he says in this passage. I want you to pray, and oh, by the way, I want you to pray for kings and those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness he starts to get very specific and, and actually the result he's praying for is not changed policy, although that's not wrong, or changed laws, although that's not wrong. But he says, but there's a byproduct when you pray for those in authority that he says that they're living in a day where they're just, they're looking 
not in a democratic way. They don't have much influence, but what they do have, the influence they do have on these leaders and these dictators and the king is that they have prayer and prayer changes things. Nehemiah, in a moment, it says when he was making his request to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, he said he was in the king's presence and he said, I was troubled in my spirit. I think it's chapter two, verse one through three of Nehemiah. And the king says, what is it that's troubling your heart? And Nehemiah simply says this, and I prayed to the Lord and I made my request. And a secular king didn't just give permission for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. He gave all the provisions to pay for it. That's the power of the God of prayer. That's the influence of time with the Lord. And we desperately need to be engaged in the things in our economy, in our community, and on our political system. But we desperately need the hand of God to move in these situations and change people's minds and they don't even realize that they're supporting the things of the Lord. So he says, I want you to pray very specifically and I even want you to pray evangelistically. Look what he says. This is good and it pleases God who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So if I wanna understand the heartbeat of God is that God wants to see every individual come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, now we start getting into that whole thing, well, wait a minute, if it's God's will, then why isn't it being done? Because there is this whole thing of volition or choice or free will, and that leads up to whole books and theological courses that are given on the aspect. Here's what I know, is that when I pray for the heart transformation of my child, uh, of my neighbor, if I pray for the the heart transformation of Kim Young-Joon or uh, was it Xi Jinping or of Vladimir Putin. I had a guy come up and get on me one time because I prayed for God to change the heart of Saddam Hussein. He said I was, I, was, I was traitorous and treasonous in my prayer. No, I'm just simply following what scripture says. Can you imagine anything that would change things more quickly than if Vladimir Putin had a personal life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. Or not naming names, but if so many who represent us had a life-changing personal encounter with the living Savior, what could change things more quickly and dramatically than that? So he says that when you pray generously and you pray specifically and you pray evangelistically, you're praying in the heart of God. That is never inappropriate. And oh, by the way, don't know what to pray. I can always pray for that. 
I'm old enough to have been alive in, during the first Gulf War, Gulf War I, to the 1990, 1991. Some of you were alive. That was the first George Bush president. Any of you remember that war? You remember a little bit about that? It didn't last a long time, but it, was, it involved Saddam Hussein, et cetera. But it's interesting. There was something that was developed during that time. The first time I remember ever seeing it on video, there's this enduring image of a missile going through the window of a building in attack. You kind of remember what I'm talking about here? Yeah, you, Paul, you remember it. And I remember H.W. Uh, uh, George H.W. saying, used a term I had not heard before, and he called them smart bombs. Ring a bell, some of you? Smart bombs, by the way, are not just a specific bomb. It's actually anything that is a targeted system. It can be done now with lasers and G GPSs and all that kind of stuff. One of the real accurate ones is they, they put a laser thing on something. I had a friend who helped develop the missile system, the guidance system for um, Patriot missiles. He worked at Magnavox. I had no idea that besides making TVs, they make guided missile systems. But anyway, that's, that's true. Worked for Magnavox, had to have all those secret clearance and everything. But he talked about how accurate those things would be. And what's, what's interesting in this passage, the vision that comes up, I got it in my notes, is just simply that God calls us to become smart bomb prayers. Specific, very direct. And oh, by the way, what's interesting, when God answers those prayers, what does that do to your faith? Your faith skyrockets because now um, you're not praying so generally that you can't see God work. It's when you're praying specifically that when God answers that, all of a sudden you become even more engaged in that. You're seeing the move of God in our days because you're watching God answer that prayer. Paul says, highest priority. I want you to engage in prayer. Now he talks about, by the way, three final challenges and we gotta close. He says, I, there, there's a few things that I need to make sure that I say in God's household because this will impact your prayer life. And so verse eight, he says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. So interesting, he says there's three things that you need to pay attention to. And the first thing is, is this whole thing is I want you to lift holy hands. Now, I remember when I was uh, a freshman in college, I was attending a church at the university uh, that I was at. And I remember very specifically the pastor taking uh, quite a bit of time to talk about how it is wrong to raise your hands in worship. And I, uh, uh, his, his, his comment was that if you raise your hands, you can open your hands like this because if you raise your hands like this, you're being presumptuous as if you're giving something to God. And that if you raise your hands li uh, like this, then it, it's like you want to receive something from God. And can I just tell you, that is utter foolishness. And look, you got a whole, do you realize Jewish people for thousands of years, they pray like this, eyes open, hands up. 
So you got a whole race of individuals who've been doing it wrong and God chose them. So I, I think, think maybe he put his, and, and I knew what he was saying. What he was trying to say is that you're somehow presumptuously assuming that anything. But, but can I just remind us, scripture says that my righteousness is as filthy rags. Paul says it in chapter one, I don't deserve this at all, but it's by the gracious and merciful hand of God. So when I raise holy hands to the Lord, number one, it always should be with an understanding. God, my hands, they're clean only because you've made me clean through Jesus Christ. It isn't my righteousness, it's your righteousness. And any, any right that I would have, Lord, is simply because of your grace in my life. But when Paul is mentioning this, it's, it's to deal with the conscience of our heart. He said we want to have a clean heart before God, a clean conscience before God. And if that's not correct, then as David talked about two weeks ago in confession, let's deal with that. If there's anything that's incongruent, it means it's out of alignment in your life, that when I come in prayer, I need to make sure that God, first of all, before I pray for anyone else, I gotta make sure that, that I'm where you want me to be. So Lord, as I raise holy hands, it's a recognition of your work in my life and your grace in my life. And as I come before you, I, I wanna come with clear conscience which makes perfect sense because the next thing he says is without anger. And all he's doing here is quoting Jesus. Jesus says that if you are making your gift at the altar and you remember that someone has something against you, you go to them. Why? Because bitterness always becomes a barrier to intimacy with God. And it is not a punishment, it is a byproduct. So many times we talk about faith and we're saying God's doing, no, 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 it's just simply the byproduct. God's not gonna listen to me if my hands are, are not holy. I'll just simply tell you that if my life is incongruent before God, I would never even presume to have the boldness to ask. And if I have bitterness in my life with another individual, Jesus says that your, your horizontal relationships have a big impact on your vertical relationship. So just deal with the horizontal stuff and then come and deal with the vertical. And then he says, and without disputing. The opposite of disputing is what? Unity. In unity in agreement, not warring or, or separated with others, but rather together. Jesus said what? I was reminded of this verse this morning. Jesus said, listen, if two or three of you agree on anything on earth, it will be done by my Father in heaven. I didn't say it, he said it. There is something about agreement in prayer. And this last week, I was reminded, um, I think it was four years ago, um, uh, Pastor Corey was with us, Prayer Awakening Conference. Some of you will remember it. Late February, early March, 2018. And he opened up the altar, and if you were at that service, hundreds of people 
came and just sprawled out on that evening across the stage as we were, he said, if you're burdened or petitioning for something or someone, I want you to come. And my wife and I came over here and we just sprawled out against the stage. And we began to intercede for some things that were breaking our heart. And we got very specific. And I was reminded this last week in prayer, I was just praying and I stopped to thank the Lord. And I looked at just one of those requests and how powerfully, if you looked at it week by week, it was so imperceptible, you may not have even noticed it, but you look at it four years over four years and it is, it is so night and day, it is irrefutable. Completely, completely changed life. So I wrote my wife and said, I don't know if you remember this or not, but what a powerful, powerful answer to prayer. And I, I don't know if you feel like something might be missing. But I know this, um, best place, best place, if I feel like the enemy's attacking, best place to begin is on my knees. And if I wonder if the Lord is trying to get my attention, best place to be is on my knees. It's always the first place to start. Would you pray with me? The Holy Spirit, I wish perhaps we could just break into some groups here began to pray over one another, but I felt so strongly that this morning that Holy Spirit in this moment of prayer, that you wanted to have some conversations with us. And some things have been resonating as they were spoken this morning, and it's as if the Holy Spirit was drawing to attention an area for you to step into. A person, a situation. Perhaps it's just simply your, your position in prayer or your position in worship. God's calling you to that. Or right now the Holy Spirit is perhaps speaking to you about some things that are hindering intimacy. Some things that are incongruent in your life that don't measure where you, what you're saying that they do or relationship that, you know, there's a little bit on your part that has to be done. Now, once I've done everything I know how to do, then I just leave it to the Lord, but... Lord, you're calling us to step into an area of obedience and your your wooingness to come out of the outer court into the inner place, the holy of holies, into your presence where we see transformation happening. And that may take some time, but one step of obedience is way better than the the greatest of intentions. And so, Lord, I'm hearing you and I'm 
listening to you, but more than that, I'm going to step in obedience and look forward to seeing how you're going to answer in these lives and in these days. Thank you, Lord. I love you today in Jesus' name. Amen.